0: And now your host, multimillionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley.
1: Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, my friends, I find myself freshly back from the uh, expo, and it was the largest expo we've ever had. Uh, It was phenomenal speakers, and I thank everybody that came and helped and taught, and everybody came just to enjoy and learn, but it was a great time. Now... That being something that happens in my life every year at the beginning of the year, we then have the rest of the year to sit down and think about, what are we going to do now? So, I get back and I start looking at serious types of concerns, such that what is the marketplace doing in real estate and so on and so forth, and lo and behold, my inbox is filled with reports, I guess, because it's that time of year, right? So, I wanted to read this one report to you and use it as a basis to start today's conversation. And it is one that says basically this. And um, I want to give credit to whoever it is. It's a real estate brokerage firm. Let me see if it says who to, oh, Newmark. Newmark is the company that put this particular thing out. But it's pretty much the same across the board if you to any of the brokerage firms out there. Or if you get the data from data services, this is what's basically going on. Number one, real estate is still selling. Uh, And and by the way, these guys are commercial real estate, so commercial real estate is still selling. What does that mean? Well, that means that people that sell real estate for a living don't make money unless there's transactions. People who sell mortgages to people who buy and sell real estate don't make money unless there's transactions. And so whether or not there really were a ton of transactions or not, they're going to tell you there's a ton of transactions. Also, what happens is that the marketplace is in flux right now. We all know that the inflation has caused the Fed to start raising the interest rates, and the rise of interest rates is changing the landscape of the real estate investment world we're living in. So, a lot of people are going to have to reposition themselves. Being that they're repositioning themselves by either selling and or by buying, because... Right now, what's happening, and the second point they make is that the prices are going down. Now, being real estate brokers that wrote this, they can't tell you the prices are going down. They have to use spy language, and the spy language is cap rates are going up. Well, unless I take 30 minutes and explain to you what a cap rate is and everything, the bottom line is this. It's the base rate of return you'd make on a transaction, a real estate investment, if there were no leverage. So, if I bought this thing, paid full price for it, and I made 4% return, that would be a 4% cap rate. And and I'm sorry, if I paid full price and had no leverage, no mortgage, nothing, just paid cash for it. The real estate world, when I started, had what was basically a 10 or 12 cap rate level, meaning you could buy a piece of real estate and pay cash for it and earn 10 or 12% return, which just was so unbelievable that if you put leverage on it, you could earn 30 or 40 or 50%. But over the years, that has come down. And what it means to have the cap rate come down is that people are willing to pay more to buy the real estate you own. When they're willing to pay you more to earn the same amount of income you're earning at the time you sell it, they're going to earn a lower rate of return. Now, the sales pitch to you is when that happens. But once you go in there and fix this place up and run your magic, and of course, They're going to tell all of you that you have the Midas touch, that you're genius, and that when you buy this real estate, you're going to be so much better than the person before you at operating it that you're going to be able to make it make a lot more money. Well, in most cases, that's not really true. In most cases, now, in lifestyles, after you've been trained to be the best that there is at operations, uh, then that could be true, and we have a lot of people that do that because they're very, very good at what we do. How do I define or how could I make the argument that we're very good at what we do? I'll just give you one example. The National Department Association gives away an award every year for the best independent real estate owner of the year. And we've won that. One of our members has won that every year since I first won it. I won it in 2007. We've won it every year since then. I think that's 16 years in a row meaning that when these 44,000 different individuals out there that belong to the National Apartment Association as independent owners, not as big giant corporations, we're not competing, this contest doesn't compete us against those big Camden Property Trust type things, uh, any of those big national firms. This is just mom-and-pop guys like myself and you who own some real estate, and we put up our property to be evaluated both at a local and then a state, and then a national level. They give out awards for the best property. Well, what happens is that our operations are so good, and our product is so good, that when they come in, they go, "Wow, this is incredible!" And then we win the thing. And you know, you have to think about this: 44,000 people were competing against, and one of our members wins every year for 13 years. Well. Even if my claim is rather bold that we're one of the best at what we do, if not the best at what we do, we're pretty darn close. Because if you think of anybody could win the Super Bowl, even two years in a row, let alone 16 years in a row, or the national basketball champions, even two years in a row, let alone 16 years in a row. Uh, You know, think about any competitive environment where someone wins every year. Now, you can say, well, they own the apartment." No, we're like a minuscule scratch on the back of the apartment association of the number of people nationwide that own real estate. We're not even close. Um, But we just have a very, very good program that teaches people to run the properties very efficiently, very effectively, and to provide a good product out there. So what they're saying to you now is that the the rates of return, and this article says this, the rates of return have started to come down, still higher than most other investments. Quite honestly, 7.1% rate of return um, is much higher than what I'm getting in any of my savings accounts, any of my CDs, although there might be CD out there larger than that. But the bottom line is that that 7% rate of return uh, is the lowest it's been in real estate for a long time. Can you beat the average in anything in life is a question you have to ask yourself. I've never been average in my life. Um, I've always been a B plus, A minus, middle or A type competitor in everything I've done. I've been one of the top very few of what I've done. Maybe because I study more, maybe because I work harder, whatever it is. I tend to get better results than the average by quite a bit. And so do my students seem to get better results. Our members here uh, have outperformed the average forever. I mean, completely. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have an average. Even within our group, there's people that are going to be, you know, the worst of what we do and people are the best of what we do. And then there's everything in between. And even in our group, we have an average. But I would suggest that our average, if you look at what our people are being told now when they get into deals, the kinds of promises that are being promised is somewhere around a 30 to 40% rate of return. Whereas if you go back five or ten years ago, I was promising people 100 to 200% rate of return. We were just killing it. I mean, quite honestly, we were killing it. And uh, the prices have gone up so much now, probably double what we were paying for stuff. In fact, no, they've gone up four times from what we were buying stuff in 2008. The real challenge for a lot of people is, uh, after raising the interest rates, or while raising the interest rates, uh, it, it is taking away the bottom-line profitability. Even though your property is just as profitable as it was, uh, you're now in a situation where you uh, are not getting the same cash flows out of the property. And so a lot of people are trying to reposition. Now, the problem is the people that are selling these properties to get out of these bad situations uh, don't like it, but they're going to have to sell the properties lower than what they want to sell them. But now, no, we're not going to bid it up. We're going to sit where we're at, and if that guy can find that greater fool, find one person dumb enough to pay too much, uh, well, then good luck for them and you know, great for them but don't want it to be me. Don't want it to be somebody I'm consulting. I don't want them to pay too much. Well, Dell, I have a question. Yes, what would that be? The question is why don't they just list them for the price they ultimately get them at? Because if they did, they wouldn't get the listing. You have to understand the dynamic between the seller and the broker. The seller is coming to the broker scared, saying, I need to get out of this thing. It's becoming a problem. I've got a loan that's gonna pay off or needs to be paid off. Uh, I bought this thing with you know a three percent or three and a half or four percent interest rate. Now interest rates are six percent. Um, it won't underwrite to allow me to refinance it unless I put another million or two down, which I don't have. Uh, I'm in trouble. I got to get out from underneath of this thing somehow. And the broker, if he says, "Well, you can't," you, you're going to have to sell it for a major loss. That guy's not going to list with that broker. So what the broker is going to say is something more along the lines: "Yeah, I understand where you're at." Um, We're early into a downward trending market. Maybe we can just pull one out. Let's get this thing listed right away and get it out there and see if we can snag somebody that really likes your property because your property is better than everybody else's property. Now, if you didn't recognize that, that's somebody blowing smoke up your you-know-what. And um, the bottom line is they do that all the time, make you think that your property is better, right? They have to to get the listing. Now, once they get the listing, they'll dump it onto the market the price that they told the seller they would go with. And then five offers in a row. Boom, 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 come in. All of them 10 to 20% below what the asking price is. And then the broker just goes back to the seller and says, "Man, I don't I don't know, I guess maybe we might have missed it. Maybe 2 weeks ago we could have got it. Maybe, you know, a month ago we could have got it. But it looks like right now they're just not you know, willing to pay the price that you're asking because the stars haven't aligned interest rate wise, the stars haven't aligned taxes, the tax increases, property tax increases wise, the stars haven't aligned insurance costs wise, etc. There's been too many hurricanes and too many earthquakes and too many tornadoes, and insurance companies are taking a hickey. And so instead of going up 5% this year, ...inflationary hedge, or maybe 10 or 20% to stay in line with inflation, they're going up 100%. And these guys can't eat that kind of an increase because they pay too much, too much for these conditions. Now, if they sell it, which they will ultimately have to do, then you'd buy it. And you buy at 10% below. And when you leverage 10% better, it becomes 30 to 50% better, depending on the amount of leverage you're able to use. You're in a much better position than they are. You anticipate those taxes. Those are anticipated property taxes for you. That interest or that insurance cost is anticipated. You knew it before you made your offer what those insurance rates were going to be. And you're buying when those costs are at their highest during an inflationary market. Being that, you're probably going to, at some time in the future, find that they may even pull back and go lower. And I've been doing this for 33 years now. When it's going bad, it looks like it will never stop going bad. When it's going good, it feels like it could never stop being good. But the reality is, is that everything, it lives in cycles. Um, The difference is that the Fed and the government have gotten really good at holding those cycles out so they last longer and longer and longer. And so if you look back at historical cycles, the historical cycles have never been as long as they've been in the last 10 years. And we've been saying that for the last five to 10 years. Man, these cycles are way past due to turn around and go back down again. But guess what? They're there. They're going back down. So I'm excited about it because I'm a buyer when prices are going down. I don't know about you. And I'm a seller when prices start going back up again. Because of that, the market we're going into, for me, is very exciting. But when we come back, I'm going to tell you why this market that should be exciting may not be for some people that we know. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show.
0: creating the lifestyle you really want keep listening the Del Wansley radio show returns in moments
1: I created these case studies 30 years ago for this reason you're the accountant you're the CPA you're the the engineer the IT guy do you follow what I'm saying you're that little quiet cubicle guy and you don't see yourself as a rich millionaire so I have to bring the cubicle people up here And you go, honey, look, he's got the same shoes I have on, right? And he speaks in the same language that I speak in. And you've got to be able to see somebody you can relate to or relate with for this to work. Part of the reason I want you to speak to other people is because half of your, I'd say, challenge is that you don't believe you can be rich is that you don't believe you can retire within five years. Until you can reconcile that in your mind, you won't be willing to take the steps necessary to get there.
0: Join us today. Check for in-person
1: and online dates at lukstudy.com.
0: you're hearing the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Del Wamsley.
1: Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. I wanted to discuss today, you know, after filling you in with where the marketplace was at and letting you know that there is a change happening in the marketplace right now, I wanted to let you know that Some people are going to have challenges in this changing marketplace. And why is that, Dell? Well, I think I just caught myself talking to myself in the third party. (laughs) I'm sorry. So, bottom line, why, why is this happening? What will happen that will make this problem get even worse? And that is, as inflation persists, the cost of inflation itself is going to harm buying power for the average family. The Fed's response, which is raised interest rates, is going to harm families buying power even further, right? Because now you can't borrow to buy without it being very expensive. And you can't buy because it is very expensive. So what happens is is people start to cut back and the economies will slow down at some point. I don't know that it has yet uh, because there's so much pent up buying power left over from All of us deep inside the stuff we didn't buy for two years living inside of a cone somewhere. But it's going to slow down eventually. At least that's the commonly believed economic view of things. Right. So what really happens? I mean, people have got to live somewhere, you would say, Dell. Why is it if people have to live somewhere? uh, Why is it vacancy starts to creep up? and occupancy starts to go down. And the reality is, is that just like I told you about the sellers of real estate, the owners of real estate have the same exact problem. They believe that their real estate is worth more than what it's really worth because the value of anything is not a stagnant value. You know they try to tell you what well, gold and silver is safe. Not even gold and silver is safe. Think about this. Um, Robert Kiyosaki, which I really, really displeased with. I used to think he was a good author. Now I'm displeased with him because he's selling his soul out there, selling gold and silver. And listen to what he said: If silver just goes back to where it was before, you'll have a hundred percent gain in your asset. Well, do some math, people. Take out a piece of paper and draw yourself a graph. If something goes back to where it was before, and that's a 100% gain, doesn't that mean that was a 100% loss to get there? And so what he's telling you is what you need to do is buy into the stuff I lost 100% of my money in. And I don't have any money anymore, so now I have to go on TV and tell you to do stuff that, isn't in the books that I wrote that made me my millions. I made millions writing books about real estate. And now I'm out there, you know, trying to sell silver. And really, he's not really selling it. He's just a trained dog, you know, doing the commercials for them. So he does disappoint me uh, when you look at this situation. So when I look at this and I say, okay, look, the real estate values fluctuate by supply and demand. Now there is an economic term. They don't probably don't even teach in school anymore. Supply and demand. So now all of a sudden we're saying, but do we have an oversupply of real estate? And the answer is no way. There's not enough housing to go around now. So let me explain to you what it really is. The truth of the matter is stuff sells not on supply and demand, but on supply and perceived value and price. So when you're in a situation and someone perceives that the value of what you have is very high, then they you can get more for it. When they don't perceive that the value is high, then you don't get more for it. So if you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, hey, I feed my kids. I can buy Pablum for my kids. I got some grandkids now. The grandkids, you know, are they going to eat or am I going to live in an expensive, overpriced apartment complex or an overpriced rent house? And I can't really afford with what I'm making to pay for the food and the insurance I need to keep and the gasoline I need for my car to get to work and the repairs I need on my car. I can't afford to put my kids in clothes and send them to school. And I'm paying $500 a month more to live in this apartment than I can see Del Wamsley's apartment right down the street renting for. I think I'll go rent with Del Wamsley. Now, the $500 is a number I just pulled out of thin air. How much is it a month? If I took your tenant, let's say you had a tenant, and I went up to your tenants and said, look, tell you what I'd like to do. You're living there. You're paying a fair market price for rent, $1,000 a month, whatever. I'm making up a number. If I had you move down to my place, I'd give you the same deal, but I'll give you a check in the mail for $100 every month. Do you think they'd move? You darn tootin' they'd move. And not all of them, maybe, because some of them are too lazy to move, or maybe they like where they're living. But if I went $150 a month, would they move? What if I went $200 a month? Would they move? And... Many of them would. Now, some of them would say even $200 isn't enough because I really can't even afford to pay the 1000 or even if you made it 800 afford it. Those tenants are going to move in with a friend. They're going to double up, live two people in one unit, split the rent, or they're going to move back with mom and dad. One of the two. You can't keep those people. They can't afford your product. You can't price all the way down to those people. But there's a lot of people that are paying the full market rent. There's a lot of people that can't afford your rent. That just a slight variation in that rent could make it possible for them to live a whole lot better. But I don't know how many landlords there are that won't do it. And you say, well, I have to have this full rent or I won't be able to pay my mortgage. And then I blows my mind when I have to take a piece of paper out for them and say, look, you've gone from having one vacant unit to having 10 vacant units. Your rent was $1,000 a month. 10 vacant units is $10,000 a month you're losing. Because you're losing $10,000 a month, I understand you can't pay your mortgage, and so you're afraid to lose even $100 a month to lower your rents. But what you don't realize is if you lowered your rents even $200 a month, you would have those 10 units leased. And those 10 units leased would be $8,000 a month more would be in your pocket every single month. Now, the way we value real estate is we take the net operating income, what's left over from profit, and we divide it by a variable we call a cap rate, and that gives us the value. So if you look at a five cap rate on $8,000 a month times 10 months it's 8 eighty thousand in two more months would be another sixteen. That's ninety-six thousand dollars a year. And you put a five cap rate on that, well a ten cap rate would make it worth nine hundred and sixty and that would make it one million eight hundred, one million nine hundred thousand dollars worth of value. Your apartment is now worth one million nine hundred thousand dollars less than it was the day before you decided to not lower your rent. Because that vacancy lowers the value of your property. So why are you allowing these units to be vacant? Now we've got a guy who has got 20% vacancy. He's going broke. He's got to sell his property or he's going to lose it. And he sells it for less than what he bought it for. It takes a loss or even maybe he owned it a long time and it was worth a lot. He bought it low and it was worth a lot more and it just went back down to where he bought it. Whatever it is, he's just getting out when he can. The next guy comes along and he buys it inexpensively so now the economic scale makes sense he comes back in and takes those 20 percent of units that are vacant he fixes up the exterior of the property make the office look nice the the grounds look nice everything and they do you know this complete renovation and they call it repositioning the property from being a class d to a class c or to a class b or whatever it is and of course they always lie about what it is and i say lie is such a terrible word but Either they're using it for a marketing ploy or they're just, you know, lying to themselves, maybe. But, you know, I've never had anybody ever sell me a D, but I've bought tons of them. I've never had anybody even list a C, but we've bought thousands of them. Uh, Everybody thinks everything's a B, you know. Put a slap of coat of paint on it and do what I call a paint ovation, and you think you have a really nice property. But... In most cases, you don't. So what happens is this: this group that buys it now, they start fixing these units up, and they find out because they're brand new, fixed up. Remember, you're in a recession. Owners are being very scarce about what they're willing to do. There's no upgrades anymore because really you can't afford them. You're doing maintenance repair. If you're smart, uh, you're not letting your property get disrepaired or fall into disrepair. Is a better way to say that. Um, so you're, you're you're moving along here, and you just there's there's average, and then there's bad properties. So you come in, and you take these 20% of units and take some part of them, and you fix them up and make them really nice, and you fix up the exterior and the landscape, and first, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, so the landscaping is important, the walk-up is important, the office is important. All those things were the last thing anybody fixes when they start having troubles, because that's not a tenant knocking on your door saying, I'm not going to pay if you don't fix this. These are the things that you don't even pay attention to. So now they fix all those up and somebody goes, hey, honey, look, you know, you drive up and down the street. You live on that street. There's 50 apartment complexes on that street. And there's a new one all of a sudden. New owners. It's pretty again. And you going. you know what? We're living in one's pretty dilapidated. Let's go see what the rent is. Now, the new owners, what they're going to do is they're going to realize they've got to get tenants right away. So what they'll do is they'll say, look, I'll give you a month's free rent or I'll give you two months free rent. But what they want is they want that $1,000 to $1,100 a month rent. They want either the thousand that that used to be or they want more than that even because they're putting a lot of money into fixing these units up. And so they're saying, hey, our units are $1,100 and so they're able to lease some 1%, 2%, 3%, 5% of that vacancy back up at this higher rental rate for the fact that some people will pay more just because they want to get out of all the bad places that are out there right now. They see this as refuge from that. And they didn't get hurt in their job during this recession. Their job was recession proof for whatever reason. And so the seller or the new owner puts those people in. Now, here's the dirty little secret you don't understand about real estate, is that their goal is not to fill that place back up. It's not to take a long time and get people to all pay higher rents. Their goal is to lease up 10% of the 20% vacant and say, look, the values of all of these units are now at this $1,000 to $1,100 a month rent which makes this entire property, once you bring them all up to this level, if you do renovate every unit, you'll get every unit up to $1,100 a month. And man, this thing's going to be worth a ton more money. So I'm going to sell it to you what it will be worth at that ton more money price. That's the dirty little lie about the apartment industry. Nobody ever completely renovates an apartment complex uh, for that very reason. Once they fix them back up, to any extent start getting higher rents, the brokers are now out there telling people, wow, this thing is worth a lot more. And so they sell without needing to finish the product. In fact, I've heard brokers lie, and this is just, again, another. Lying is my way of telling you, hey, wake up. These guys are misrepresenting the facts. Lie to the buyer and say, he's left meat on the bone for you. What does meat on the bone for you mean? Meat on the bone for you means that they didn't finish the job of renovating the property, that they're selling you at a price as if they had renovated the property and telling you you're going to be able to get even more income once you continue to do the rehab that they never completed. My friends, that's the dirty little lie of the commercial real estate business or at least the apartment business. And because of that, they put these concessions in, meaning this. All they have to do is fill the place up and have everybody sign the lease for the eleven $1, $1, or $1,200 a month. They can give them a month or two or three free. It doesn't mean anything to them because by the time those concessions burn off and they've got 10% of those people paying those eleven or $1,200 a month rents, they're looking at the other side of the whole transaction ready to sell. To who? To the next greater fool that comes along who thinks, wow, what a great opportunity to buy a property that's going up in value. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation and we'll come back tomorrow because remember this, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. See you tomorrow.